anyway, don't tell me now. But um, all sorts of things going on in our world and all sorts of uh, attempts for the world to present you with an answer. All sorts. And thus, you know, it's especially as we see it in the advertising world. You need this and you need this and then you'll be set. This is great. I mean, this is the best thing, right? All these kind of things that go on in our world. And, um, you know, we keep, uh, we keep searching for more answers to life's issues and life's problems. There's plenty of things that you are drawn to. Obviously, it's not like they're all evil things and that you know you stay away from them. You get that? It's, it's, it's like... There's a lot of things that are good, but are they really the best for me? And a lot of things that we're drawn to, a lot of things that we marvel in, and uh, think about it, you know. Um, now, it, it going on right now, here's the World Series. And uh, in baseball, you can have people talk about, oh, the old glory days of baseball, or the glory days of this, or or whatever, and, and we want to bask in our own glory. And it might not be my own or your own, but um, it might be, you know, with this category of life, we bask in it. Even, you know, the idea of, uh, well, I did this when I was in college. And one of the things that happened when I got out of college was I joined a, a men's soccer club, a uh, men's soccer team. They're old guys. I wasn't old. I was young. But, you know, the idea was that um, what you ended up seeing was guys that were glorying way past their day. <laughs> and they were thinking they still had it. I was one of them. I kept thinking, I still have it. We were glorying in that. And, it, you know, it just later on in life, you realize that's that was foolish. All, anyway, so all sorts of things. But then, you know, now shifting with that thought to spiritual truth. God is the only one that deserves our glory. God is the only one. Now, we can be thankful for one another and thankful for things that one, you know, we can do for one another. But God's the only one that receives our glory. All the Reformation, uh, all the Reformers from the Reformation, that's what we're studying now, is about Reformation 500, 500 years of uh, remembering this, this time. And the Reformation uh, guys realize that all these solos... Sola, you know, all of them added up. They all added up to Soli Deo Gloria. That was the, the sum of it all. Okay? As Romans 11, you can put this down under the introduction time, just uh, this reference, Romans 11:36 says, For from him... And through Him and to Him are all things. All things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. 
And that verse ought to be a verse that all of us own and remember and live by because it directs us in the right place. So we're going to be uh, talking here this morning about man's chief end, soli deo gloria. Now, I don't have one passage that we're going to be camped in here. We're going to go into a lot of directions here, all right? Because um, from beginning to end is about the glory of God, okay? It's not about me or you or some famous other Christian. It's not about us. It's about God and His glory. And that's what the Bible gives us here. So, number one in your outline, you can follow along there uh, in your outline in the bulletin, the glory of God in the beginning. The glory of God in the beginning. And what we have to do is we can't start at Genesis chapter 1. If we could, well, we have to go back prior to Genesis 1. Why? God is eternal. There's no beginning with God and no end with God. There wasn't a birth date for God There wasn't a starting point for God. God created time. He lives beyond and above time. Uh, I can't fathom that. I don't know who can. But God is before Genesis 1-1. He's from eternity past. He never had a beginning. He's always been there. He is the self-existent one. He is the eternal one. He told uh, Moses and the people of Israel, I am the great I am. And that defines it for us. That tells us. He just is, right? And then, letter B, as our creator. He is our creator. He is our maker. We're going to show a little video right now, but before we have uh, Brian press go on this, would you close your eyes right now? Just please, just cooperate with me. (laughs) Close your eyes and listen. And then we'll start this video. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks down on the heavens and the earth. Times the size of the earth. So here's a little perspective that sort of changed my life. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, okay, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. Okay, that didn't seem to move anybody either, so let me try it a different way. Let me just try it just a different way. I thought I might need this, so I brought a golf ball, okay? So all through the evening, this is going to represent earth, all right? So this is where we are. I need everybody in the building to look as closely as you can and find yourself, okay? And when you found yourself, 
I want you to nod your head so that I know you've located you on the earth, okay? You're nodding your head? Okay, you found yourself. If the earth were a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. That's not 15 feet in diameter. Can we blow that up just a hair and maybe give them 15 feet in diameter? So here's a little perspective for you, okay? Is this working for anybody? Here we are on the earth, and that's the sun. It's so big. It's so big, you could put... 960,000 earths inside the sun. So if the earth were a golf ball and the, and the sun were 15 feet in diameter, you could put 960,000 golf balls inside that 15 foot diameter sun. That's enough golf balls, by the way, because I know that seems like a big number, to fill a school bus with golf balls could fit inside the 15 foot in diameter sun. It's a massive star and it's one of hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, our cul-de-sac in the neighborhood called the cosmos that God has made. I love science. And science has just brought us the largest star they found. It's called, are you ready for this? Canis Majoris. Now I'm no linguist, but that's a cool name for the biggest star we've found so far. I think that means the big dog star, and that's exactly what it is. I bring it to you as a little bitty purple, you know, glow just to the right of center there. But Canis Majoris, oh wow, if the earth were a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. Almost six miles above sea level, the highest point on the planet, and I just dare you to get up there and unzip the parka and pull out your golf ball. You could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside Canis Majoris. That's enough Earths if the Earth were a golf ball to cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls 22 inches deep. You see the one you're on? Maybe this will help a little bit more. This absolutely blew my mind. Just a little journey through our solar system. Everyone knows our planets and sort of how we fit in to the story here. You see really quickly that we're not even the biggest deal in our own solar system, but as Earth comes by, you have to know tonight that we are living on a privileged planet. Anyone would tell you we're living at one of the most special places, if not the most special place in all of creation. But Neptune comes by and Saturn and then Jupiter, and you're like, okay, we're not all that big, even in our own little cul-de-sac. I just noticed the blue dot fading away is not the earth. That's Neptune. The earth has gotten too small to see anymore. Sirius comes by. Little plug for satellite radio. Not the biggest star, but the brightest star that we have found so far. Pollux, which we didn't mention. Arcturus. Such a beautifully named one, Regal. But then the one that messed me up.
our third star, Musifi. Musifi's cousin, W. Sifi. And Canis Majoris. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the Son of Man, that you care for Him. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name. Give glory for the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and He does all that He pleases. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. And there is an even greater glory than what we've just witnessed. I'm sure scientists and uh, astronomers could say, you know, there's even a bigger star that we've discovered. Since, this is probably 2010 that uh, this was done. And they, you know, very easily could have discovered a, an even greater star, a bigger one. But there's a greater glory. And let us see, all throughout the Old Testament, we see the glory of God in all the pictures that foreshadow Jesus. All the pictures in the Old Testament that foreshadow the coming of the Messiah. Noah's Ark that was built. That's a foreshadowing of Jesus. The ram or the lamb caught in the thicket. Another picture of Jesus being sacrificed by Abraham in place of his own son, Isaac. The life of Joseph, the life of Moses, the Passover lamb that was sacrificed, and the blood on the doorpost in Exodus chapter 12, the rock which provided water, the manna sent from heaven, (laughs) even the Sabbath rest. All of those are foreshadowing the coming of a Messiah, a glorious Messiah. And it just all fell together, right? All came together just randomly. No. (laughs) The next point under letter C is all the prophecies that are fulfilled. Prophecies fulfilled. And what is that showing us? There's a grand scheme, a grand design by a holy God, a sovereign God. 
which leads us right to point number two in your outline, the glory of God revealed in Jesus in his birth, in his life, letter B, in his death, letter C, and letter D in his resurrection. Everything points to God's glory in his birth. (laughs) The angelic announcement, the angels rising up and praising God. Even the shepherds, the lowly shepherds, they walked off glorifying God because of this. They understood it. (laughs) In his life, Jesus received the affirmation, the clear verbal affirmation uh, uh, from God the Father. And then Jesus' own claim in John 17. I have glorified you on earth. Colossians 1.9 says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is glorifying God. And then this is an incredible statement under letter C, uh, John 13.31. Judas has just left the scene to go and betray his Lord. He just left. He walked out to go and betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And what does Jesus say? Now is the Son of Man glorified. Let that sink in. This is the moment that we've come to in all of civilization, in all of history. This moment where Jesus will do what? Whisk away with his angel company and be safe and happy forevermore? Go to the cross and suffer and bleed and die for the redemption of all who would believe in him. And then the Bible speaks of his resurrection in glorious terms. The glory of God uh, on display at his resurrection. Obviously, he's conquered sin and death. He's risen up from the dead. He was truly dead. Taking that spear and pushing it right up into his heart chamber. Blood and water gushed out. He's dead. They didn't have to break his legs on the cross. He's dead. And he rises up again for victory for all those who would trust in him. Are you found trusting in him this morning for your very life? You need to be trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be born again. You must be born again. You do not have to have church attendance, perfect, you know, attendance or whatever. No. Uh, You don't have to have all the Awana awards. No, that doesn't do it. Trust in the Lord. Admit your sin. Call upon Him who is life everlasting. And so all these things, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, it didn't just all random, randomly fall together. This was the plan of a sovereign God. So we see his glory in these different ways. The glory of God in, in the beginning, from eternity past, as our creator, and then laying out the plan of salvation, even in the Old Testament, the pictures and prophecies of his coming. And then the glory revealed in Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And on the back of your outline, the glory of God in his children. 
the glory of God in his children. There's only one condition that the glory of God in his children happen, and that is that you must be saved. You must be born again. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 says, to all, For all who have received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, I'm not talking just about America or just about Nevada or just about Fallon. I'm talking about all of history, all of civilization, all of humankind. We've been born and it tracks back to one father and one mother, Adam and Eve. And you, most of us here, we've been schooled in um, the, the false teaching of evolution. That says, no, you know, we've, you know, there's the Big Bang or whatever, whatever. We've been schooled in those ways. So we rarely think that our ancestry goes back to Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve. Is this the word of God or not? Is this God's truth about life or not? Is it misleading us to say it's just a bunch of myths and cute stories and fun children's stories? Or is it truth? Yeah, in the end, we will find out the truth, won't we? But it comes back to what we just mentioned. It comes back to one event. The proof is in the pudding in, in one event, the resurrection of Christ. If he truly rose up, then your faith stands. If he did not rise up from the grave, it all falls apart. It all falls apart. Everything. Why come and worship? Why bother having faith? Why pray if he did not rise up from the grave? Hallelujah! He rose up. He is alive. He is risen. Thank you. All right. He is risen. Yes. But everyone, everyone has been born into and related to Adam. And guess what that means, folks? You have a sin nature, each and every one of us. We have a sin nature. It's the Adamic nature. All of humanity is born from Adam's line. And the proof is, you don't need to teach a little baby how to sin. Don't need to do that. It's in their nature. They will sin. Proof of the Bible's trustworthiness. It's our natural bent to rebel and sin against God. We want our own way. We want our own thing. And it's not that we're, you know, we're saying everyone's terribly wicked and evil. It's just that we want our own way. We, we, we go the other way from God. We say, that's okay, I'll do it. And by the way, what was the sin that sent the world into, dep- into, into damnation, condemnation? What was that one sin? They bit a piece of fruit for crying out loud. Now, you and I know there's something far deeper than just biting into a piece of fruit. There was disobedience behind it. Okay? So, sin came into the world. Romans chapter 5, just mark it down. Romans chapter 5 talks about that sin came into the world through one man. One man's disobedience. And death came through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. That's what we're at right now. 
All of us have sinned. The whole world. But, Romans chapter 5 continues, but through the one act of righteousness, the second Adam, that's Jesus, his perfect life, the many will be made what? The many will be made righteous. And it's all because of Jesus. For by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That results in the justification of a sinner when they have faith in Christ. It's all made possible through Christ's death and resurrection. That's why everything points to that one place, Calvary. And what happened after that? The resurrection. That's the gift of God. Folks, that's the gift of God, the grace of God on our behalf. That's something we didn't deserve. You didn't deserve it. It's the gift of God. It's His grace. So we go with, what? Where is it? Grace alone. Faith alone. In Christ alone. Okay? And if you are a Christian, why aren't you glorying in Him more? We glory in all sorts of stuff that's really garbage compared to Jesus, isn't it? Isn't it? And you and I need to weigh it out more and more. We're hearing these things. We hear these truths. We learn from the Word of God. And the more we learn, we need to... You know, separate it out, saying, you know what, that's really garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Okay? And those things that, you know, we say, you know, there, there's some good things that we enjoy, but really, in comparison, when it gets right down to it, it's garbage compared to knowing Jesus, compared to knowing Him. So, the glory of God in His children starts with letter A, Salvation. And Luke 15, those references there, that's uh, the story of the father rejoicing in the lost son coming home. What a beautiful picture. How God rejoices when his lost child comes home. And there's great celebration. It's beautiful. So God glories in that one repentant sinner who turns and comes back. Letter B, there's another way in which God uh, will be glorified in His children, and that's in uh, letter B, it's through growth and fruit bearing. Our students have been talking, and we've been studying in Sunday school time about uh, John chapter 15, fruit bearing. Are you bearing fruit in your life now? If you're a Christian, it ought to be, fruit ought to be there. It's a sign of life. What's there? What's the evidence? Because God says, here's the fruit in John 15. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Branches bear, class, they bear fruit. And so it transfers to the spiritual realm, spiritual living. What fruit are you bearing in your life? It's what true spiritual life produces. It's what's expected of God's children. Fruit. It glorifies God. John 15, verse 8. 
Bearing fruit glorifies God. Here's some examples. Humility. Is that a fruit? Well, yeah. Christ-likeness. That's, that, that shows there's life, you know, new life in Christ. Um, the fruit of the Spirit. Hating sin more and more and more. Hating sin. That's a fruit that ought to be seen in our lives. We hate sin. Sharing our faith with others. Announcing the good news. That ought to be there in one way or another. And there's more. Those are just a few examples. I challenge you, you know, at lunch today or with your children, you know, investigate it. Discover more ways of what, what, are, the, what are the different fruits that we can demonstrate here. Now that's, again, that's produced by God. It's produced by God in your life as you spend time in the Word. Let us see the next one. Let's move on here. The glory of God and His children through personal worship and adoration. Everyone is a worshiper. You realize that? We could go uh, down to the, I don't know what, you you name it, some extreme kind of God-rejecting place, and everyone's a worshiper. Everyone worships. And the the key is what is being worshipped, or who is being worshipped. And this is exactly what Jesus came to do. Because not everyone worships in the Spirit and in truth. John chapter 4. Not everyone does. We know that. People are prone to turn to false worship and false idol. False idols. And Jesus came to turn false worshipers into true worshipers. There are so many who depend on some form of religion to gain acceptance with God. So their religion is what they bank on or count on to make them feel better about their stance in life. In Philippians 3, verses 2 and 3, mark that down. Philippians 3, verses 2 and 3, Paul points out one of the main problems of mankind's existence. He talks about false worship. He, He refers to the dogs. The Israelites hated to be, you know, they called uh, pagans the dogs. The Israelites did. And yet, here's the term being used towards those who are Judaizers. The dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. And that's referring to those who would do circumcision for the point of acceptance with God. All those are phrases describing religious people. They are the false circumcision contrasted in Philippians 3, verse 3, with those who are the true circumcision, those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And here's our phrase, put no confidence in the flesh. And that's so critical in our understanding regarding this, the, these um, solo phrases. It's critical that we we connect it like that. We put no confidence in the flesh. All glory to God. And we can't let the flesh gain access. We can't let it appear and come up and and gain control. We don't want it to influence us at all. We, We want to be led in the Spirit. That's what Paul tells us. Be led by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. 
The same idea is found in, you can write this reference down, Romans 13, 13 verse 13 and 14, in regard to fighting off sin. We, um, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. See, this comes up amongst religious people. It's not, uh, we're not, we're talking to people that come to church here. That's what we're trying to get at. We don't want to put confidence in the flesh. We want to worship in truth. Worship God in truth. And not, uh, you know, we, we're called to worship in spirit and in truth. And I've said this before we start singing. It's not just in singing that we're worshiping. You worship as a matter of your lifestyle. We're not part-timers. Okay? It's called worship in your life. In all that you do. What, what's your job? Learn to worship in that, in that position. Maybe you don't have a job. Maybe, and that's, you know, whatever. Whatever your circumstance, learn to worship in it. Is this a higher level of Christianity? This is normal Christian experience, my friend. That's is what the Bible is telling us. It's normal Christian experience. It's what's expected when there is new life in Christ. So th- this is a bigger issue than most of us realize. We need to maybe challenge ourselves and take it on a study of how often this subject is mentioned in Scripture or how much people are warned about the dangers of idolatry. Is, our, is your worship faulty? Is it weak? Is it sickly? Is it missing? So we need to challenge ourselves in this and, and evaluate it, examine our own hearts. It's so easy for, for secular mindset to sneak into our, into our way of living. It's so easy to let self-sufficiency rule our day. You know? We need to be uh, alert to those things. Worship. It's a very important. It's what we're made to do. Worship. Okay? Letter D. Through personal purity. Personal purity. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 tells us flee, flee from, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin is, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral, immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Those are what we're dealing with here in this passage when it says, so glorify God in your body. We're dealing with choices. Okay? Your choices comes down to those kind of things. Are they wise, scriptural choices or foolish ones, self-centered ones? Personal purity. It's learning to identify the signs of sin that pop up and a lot, of it, a lot of it just pops up in our mind. Call it for what it is. Call it for what it is. Identify it as sin and confess it. Saying, God, I need your help to 
focus my mind on the things that are of holiness and purity. That's letter D, through personal purity. Letter E, in first, excuse me, in first Corinthians, chapter ten, in verse thirty-one. It says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So letter E, through everyday habits and activities. Everyday habits or activities. Whether it's eating or drinking, do it for the glory of God. You go out this afternoon, after church here, you go to lunch, go home or go out someplace, do it for the glory of God. Eating, drinking. Do it with gratefulness. Do it with joy. Do it with pleasure and delight because He's given it. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God. Life was never intended to be split into sacred versus secular. And that's what the Roman Catholic problem was. That's what the Reformers started seeing. They, the Reformers started seeing this problem of, of, of things being separated from uh, secular and sacred. That's why, uh, for instance, a, a general kind of thing that happened, monks... Where did the monks go? Where did the nuns go? They took off. They left society and were secluded out there. It was a separation of the secular from the sacred. What does the Bible teach us? Whatever you're doing, whatever your, whatever your work is, Colossians 3.17, whatsoever you do, do it for the glory of God. And folks, especially you... Parents with children at home, listen, it starts there. Dads, lead the charge. Do it like Christ. Love your wives in this way and, and exemplify this at home. If you don't, then all that we're doing here is kind of a joke. It's just kind of a joke. Do it, start it at home. Start this at home. It's especially something that when you and I, as parents or grandparents, because grandparents, you spend time with your kids, right? Pass it along. Discover and rehearse with your children how to glorify God. And that's not just some, you know, general thing. Well, just think of glorifying God. Come on, think with me. Please, come on, think with me. No, there are practical steps of how to glorify God. And you can discover that by being in the Word. (laughs) Reading together. Don't just do it by yourself. Read together. Pray together. It doesn't have to be two hours of praying. if If that's it, great. But just pray together. Read together. Sing and worship together. One of the things, you know, it was great, you know, on a trip, singing with the kids. And don't sing, I don't know, there's a lot of songs you could sing that aren't worth it. But there are wonderful songs of praise, of worship, to sing with your children and help them to learn those things. And then with your children, recognize fruit and help them identify fruit in their lives. Okay. We've got to move on. Here we go. Point number four. The glory of God in His church. There's a difference here. It's, here's the glory of God in His people, kind of individually. And now, the glory of God in His church. It comes right with each other. It's, this is, you can't separate these out. You can't separate these out. Um, 
Colossians 1.18 tells us that Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the body, the church. So um, there's a couple of simple points here um, regarding the glory of God in His church that believers are placed into the body of Christ, letter A. They're placed into. When you become a Christian, you're automatically baptized into the body of Christ. You haven't necessarily felt that. There wasn't an official membership uh, plaque that came your way right away, but you're in the body of Christ. And that shows itself in a local church. It shows itself in the local church. So we start functioning as active member of His body. Then we take the picture of the body of Christ. We are His hands, right? We're supposed to be. We're His hands. We're supposed to be His feet. Those kind of uh, connections there are made. But for many, listen, for many Christians, there's no resemblance of being a member of His body. A lot of people nowadays, they talk about, oh, I'm, um, I'm a Christian, but I don't, I, we don't need to be involved in the church. After all, churches are, you know, they've got their problems. So we worship on our own. We worship out in the hills. We worship at the river. We worship all that. That's a bunch of lies. If that's all they're doing, you know, it's fine to go worship up in the hills, up in the mountains. Great. But if you're not involved in a local church, something's missing. That individual is missing. Plus, the church misses them. It's a member. You chop off your finger. You got a member that's missing. And so it is in the in the body of Christ. There remains a strong persuasion in our day of what I would label as the lone lamb thinking. Usually we hear the lone wolf. No, I'm talking about the lone lamb. Does that make sense to you? Knowing what you know about sheep? No, I don't think so. If you're a lone lamb, you're a, you're a target for a wolf. Or we could call it a dismembered, uh, you know, dismembered Christian living. You know, somebody's arm is cut off and there it is and they go walking off. No, you, you can't be dismembered like that. No, but that's what Christians do in our day and age. They feel like they don't need the church. And it's not about, um, you know, the one preacher guy or whatever. It's about the body life and fellowship and worship and learning from the word of God. Letter B, it's uh, the believers are preparing as a bride of Christ. Preparing as a bride, as the bride of Christ. Um, I'm going to pick on Jenny here. Jenny is engaged to be married. And most of you know that. And um, guess what Jenny has a problem with? She can't think of hardly anything else. Christian, is that how we're thinking? Is that how we're thinking? If you're a true believer, you are engaged to Christ in, a, in that sense. We have the Holy Spirit as a pledge. A pledge, just like a, an engagement ring. And we are awaiting the day when we will be joined with our Savior. The head of the body of Christ. And so, the challenge is, let's get involved in serving. You know, many of you are involved in serving, but some of you are not. 
let's get involved. Let's be participating in the, in the work of the Lord in His church. That's how He functions. Don't think of yourself as a lone lamb or try and do some dismembered living. <laughs> be prepared. Be looking forward and be secure in the fact that He is the bridegroom ready to come at any moment. Number five, we finish with the glory of God both now and forevermore. Both now and forevermore. I entitled the message, The Chief End of Man, or Man's Chief End. And so we finish with this very thing. The Westminster Catechism asks the question, What is the chief end of man? Anyone know the answer? To glorify God. Eh, wrong. You say, what? I didn't finish it. You know what it says? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And most of us think, well, yeah, okay, I'll do that in heaven. No, no, no. Let's do it now. We glorify God by confessing sin, by trusting in Him, by praising Him, and doing this in a regular fashion, in a way that gains momentum in your life, being a blessing to the body of believers. We glorify God by reflecting His nature and His ways and saying, I am weak, He is strong. That glorifies God. I need Him. After, I don't know how many years of being saved, I need Him more than I did back when I was first saved, I think. I need Him now. You need Him now. Then let her be. Just enjoy Him forever. Don't wait till heaven. Start preparing now by learning to glorify Him in all the aspects of life. And it all gets started, my friend, by getting to know Him more and more through His Word. Philippians chapter 3 verses 8 through 11, by spending time in His Word. That's how I get to know Him and how I could come to say, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing what? The surpassing value of knowing Him. It's not just I know about Him. I'm growing to know Him more and more through the ministry of the Word of God. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, being uh, becoming like Him in His death. That glorifies God. So, to God be the glory. Great things He has done, right? And would you do a favor? Just carry your golf ball around. Remember how small we are. Okay? And uh, that ought to cause us to be thinking, wow, what a great God we serve. What a great, great God has created us for His glory. We're going to have, uh, I think Mark and Carol will be up front here. Um, for if you'd like to pray, um, they'll be up front. Please uh, take advantage of that. And um, we'll carry on. There's two more Sundays of this series on the Reformation. I hope it's been a blessing. But the more important thing right now, Today is the day to give Him glory because today is the day of salvation. If you've not come to faith in Christ, don't leave. 
come and talk to one of us. Um, understand what it means to be born again. Admit, admit your sin and confess it to God and call upon Jesus Christ, who is the living God. Let's stand for prayer.